Good morning, church. He is risen. He is risen indeed. What a wonderful thing we have to rejoice in this morning. And thank you to Lillian for leading us in Christ the Lord is risen today uh, as we got started this morning. Well, the last few months have changed our lives and our world in uh, a way entirely unexpected and at least in our lifetime, uh, unprecedented. So the spread of the coronavirus around the world has locked down families, uh, shut down schools, and shut down entire countries. We've never seen anything like this in our lifetime. But epidemics are nothing new to a broken world, are they? So a little over 100 years ago, in the year 1918, in Washington, D.C., there was a hard hit virus uh, called the Spanish influenza. Medical workers were overtaxed. Uh, Suggestions were made about how to make your own homemade masks. Sound familiar at all? In D.C., over 3,000 perished. And during that crisis, churches like ours today uh, were not permitted to meet in an effort to curb the spread of the influenza. See, death and physical mortality may feel a little closer to us these days. They do to me. But they're nothing new. Death shouldn't surprise us. And and yet it often does, doesn't it? Death is often unexpected and unwelcome. It doesn't sit right with us. So while many in our world might explain away death as just a natural part of life, we know death can often feel anything but natural, anything but, but right and normal. Death often leaves us heartbroken, guilt-ridden, wanting more, asking, can this be natural? Can this be right? Well, the Bible tells us that men and women were created to reflect God's character and bring him worship with their lives. And yet it also shows us how ever since the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, each one of us has consistently rejected that design given to us by God. And because of that rebellion, death has now entered our existence as a good and just judgment from a good and just God. Death was never part of God's original plan for the world. At its core, death is not right. Death is judgment on sin. And so, friends, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is such good news for us this morning because death isn't the way it's supposed to be. And what we celebrate today, yes, what we celebrate every Sunday, every first day of the week, is that God has done something about death. So if you've been tracking along with us, church family, this past week, we've kind of put out videos uh, and just little devotionals going through Matthew chapter 27, an account of the last day of the life of Christ. We've seen Jesus condemned to be crucified. We've seen him mocked and beaten. Uh, This past Friday, Good Friday, we looked at the moment of Jesus' death as he hung on the cross. And then yesterday we read of his burial in a newly cut tomb. And so this morning, as we come to Matthew chapter 28, it's been two nights since Jesus died. But the story is not over. 
So please follow along or listen as I read for us from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. With our time together this morning, this Resurrection Morning Church, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this historical account step by step and see what is happening and then we're going to look at the three commands the angel gives to the women in verses 5 through 7. And take those commands for ourselves to help us apply the truth of the resurrection to our lives this Easter 2020. So first, a walkthrough. And then second, three commands. First, a walkthrough. Look with me at, at verse 1. Matthew writes, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. So it's early, it's before dawn, and these women ventured towards the tomb where Jesus has been buried recently on Friday. In Mark's gospel, we see they're going to anoint Jesus' corpse with spices. But there's a problem, right? So at the end of chapter 27, uh, we saw the Pharisees and the chief priests had asked for a guard to be placed at the tomb so no one would steal Jesus' body away and claim he had risen from the dead. So how are these women then to get to Jesus' body with their spices once they arrive at the tomb? Who's going to roll away the huge stone that has been sealed there? Verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. So this messenger of God, this angel comes and he rolls away the stone from before the tomb. There in verse 4, the arrival of the angel is not good for the health of the guards who have been placed there, right? Matthew writes, And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They were assigned to guard a dead man. And now they're the ones who appear as if dead. Uh, the women also appear frightened, as they should be. 
So so an an angel of the Lord is never the sort of precious moments figurine we can envision in our mind. No, angels often elicit, elicit responses of fear and trembling in the Bible. Yet there in verse 5, we see the angels speak to the women and say, Do not be afraid. See, he knows who they've come looking for, and he knows where they can find him. He continues, I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. It's amazing, isn't it? For the past few days, you can imagine these women and the disciples have perhaps thought those four words over and over in their minds, right? He is not here. He is not here. For so long they had followed after Jesus. For so long they had heard his teaching and seen his miracles. But after seeing him up on the cross that Friday, after seeing him deposited in the tomb, they had perhaps been reminded again and again, he is not here, for he has died. He is not here, for he has been crucified. But now... As Matthew chapter 28 gets underway, those four words become the best four words they've ever heard. He is not here, for he has risen. And the angel reminds them there in verse 6 that Jesus had said this would happen all along, and now his words are being proven true. He has defeated death. So the angel invites the women to come, to look inside. He says, come, see the place where he lay. And then he tells them to take action. He says, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. The women don't wait around. In verse 8, they take the angel at his word. They depart quickly from the tomb with great fear and great joy, running to tell his disciples. You know the feeling you get when you're just so happy and, and so shocked by the, uh, an event that has just happened that you're, you're, you're just really just elated, but you're also kind of freaking out? Like this feels kind of out of body. I'm not sure what's going on. That's how I imagine these women kind of running away from the tomb that early morning. Can this be happening? But things are about to get even more surreal. There in verse 9, we read, And behold, Jesus met them. And said, greetings. And, and they, are, they took up his feet, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. These women had seen Jesus die in one of the most gruesome fashions ever invented by men. And now, are they dreaming? Is this him? Is he alive? They see him. His body is restored. He is speaking to them. And he's no ghost because they run and they take hold of his feet. In complete adoration. And finally, in verse 10, Jesus says what they've already heard from the angel. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the account Matthew records of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today, let's, church family, zoom in on verses 5 through 7 and see the angel's words to the women and see specifically the three commands he gives them. And then let's consider how those commands can settle on our hearts this Easter morning. So the first command comes there in verse 5. 
What is it? Do not be afraid. So the women are afraid here, most immediately because there's just kind of been this thing called an earthquake. And there's a sight of a messenger sent from God. It's pretty terrifying. Uh, this messenger's appearance there in verse 3 is nothing ordinary. That's why the guards are like dead men. They're paralyzed with fear. But I'm reminded by this verse that these women have probably suffered a lot of fear over these past few days. Right? Perhaps they fear the death of their hopes. Because Jesus had made all these promises. All these claims. He had appeared to be sent from God himself. But now... Now, now he's been killed by the instigation of the very religious leaders of God's people. What's next? I can't help wonder if help but wondering if these women are just also fearful of the repercussions of their own lives, as those who wanted Jesus dead are going to be running after them, perhaps as well. Church, fear is all over this passage. The guards are fearful. The women are fearful. We're fearful too, aren't we? We are fearful people, and I think it's safe to argue that our greatest fears boil down to a fear of death. So the author Ed Welch puts it this way. He says, so many fears find their way to death. Fear of snakes, planes, elevators, crowds, bridges, driving in traffic. Panic attacks haunt us because we feel as though they bring us to death's door. Life, indeed, is very important to us, he says. As I read that quote, maybe some of those words touched a nerve for you this morning. They do for me. I've experienced anxiety like that. You have too, I'm sure. We fear many things, don't we? But most deeply, at the root of our being, we fear the reality of death. We fear our end. And so in the face of such a powerful enemy, how in the world can we listen to the command, do not be afraid and obey it? I mean, how can we put away a fear that's so ingrained and pervasive in our lives? We can't just go up to a fearful person and say, stop it. Stop being afraid. That doesn't work. No, there needs to be a reason, a rationale to no longer fear. And even though the angel here is speaking to the women in their immediate context, I think his words speak to our broader uh, fear as well. He says, do not be afraid. Why? For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen. Christian, your fear of death can only can only be put to rest because Jesus has conquered death. Your fear of the end of your life can only be quieted by the sight of an empty tomb. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a way to ignore reality. It's not a way to sort of bury your head in the sand and forget about death for a while. It's not a, a sedative for your anxiety or a meme that makes you laugh about death and kind of forget its reality for a bit. The resurrection of Jesus Christ looks death square in the face and answers it. It gives a resounding answer to your greatest fear. It says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ says, death is not good. 
Death is not right. It's something to rightly fear and hate. But Jesus has conquered it. Jesus has died our death and he's come back to tell the story. In his resurrection, Jesus has proven that the sin he bore on the cross, he has completely wiped away. Uh, The resurrection is not just a miracle about a man coming back to life. It's confirmation that Jesus can say, mission accomplished. I have gone to the cross. I have taken the judgment for the sin of any who will come to me. I have come to take their spiritual death on myself. And by rising again, I show that I've taken that judgment and completely exhausted it in myself. See, if you're watching this now and you're not a Christian, we're so happy you're here. We hope when we gather again, you can come and join with us. But we want you to know, just honestly, this is what we believe as Christians. So maybe you've known uh, people who call themselves Christians in the past, who kind of appreciate the the morals of Jesus' teaching. But the resurrection, I mean, that's just a little too much, right? Friends, just don't be deceived. According to the Bible, those people are not Christians at all. Christians are those who understand that we are dead in sin, under God's judgment for our rebellion, And the fact that Jesus died for that sin and rose again in victory over that sin is our only hope. That's what a Christian is. We trust in Jesus' work alone. We believe in him alone to save us. And you can do the same. Come to Jesus and be saved. And Christian, take away the resurrection and you take away our entire belief system. Christianity stands or falls on whether Matthew 28 verses 1 through 10 is true and really took place. Jesus has risen again. And that's why we can say that death's sting is gone. Because for those of us in Christ, our condemnation has been totally wiped away. God's justice has been totally satisfied. That is why we need not fear death. In the power of the resurrection, physical death is changed from the end of life to just the beginning. In Christ, we know, as that song goes that we sing sometimes, it is not death to die, to leave this weary road and join the saints who dwell on high, who found their home with God. Christian, do you listen to your fears? What do they tell you? Listen, and then tell your fears the truth. Tell your fears that Jesus has overcome your greatest fear, your greatest enemy. And now everything ultimately will work out for your good because Jesus is no longer in the tomb. Do not be afraid. The second command we see from the angel is come see the place where he lay. So over the years, many efforts have been made to prove the historical reliability of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to prove the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And while no one can ever be argued into faith in Jesus, I think it's still helpful for us to use this command by the angel this morning to remind us there are really good reasons for believing this actually happened in history. 
It's not a legend or a fairy tale we should use to make ourselves feel better during a pandemic or whatever sort of struggles we might find in our lives. So there are many great scholarly resources you can use to pursue this further, both Christian and non-Christian. But let me just give you three basic reasons today why you should think about believing that the resurrection actually happened and the tomb was really empty. There are many more. These are just three I've chosen, and I've taken this in large part from an article by Matt Perman. So first, as Perman writes, the resurrection was preached in the same city where Jesus had been buried shortly before. The resurrection was preached in the same city where Jesus had been buried shortly before. So in Jerusalem, where Jesus had hung on that ghastly cross and been buried in that newly cut rock, the message of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ became known. So Matt Perman writes this. He says, Jesus' disciples did not go to some obscure place where no one had heard of Jesus to begin preaching about the resurrection, but instead began preaching in Jerusalem, the very city where Jesus had died and been buried. They could not have done this if Jesus was still in his tomb. No one would have believed them. Second, the Jews at the time recognized the tomb was empty. The Jewish leaders at the time recognized that the tomb was empty. So look with me in Matthew 28. We just read verses 1 through 10 earlier, but look with me at verses 11 through 15. There the guards tell the chief priests what they've seen, how this angel has come and Jesus is no longer there. And the priests find a way to spread a lie about this. So they say in verse 13, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, that's Pilate, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. You see what happens? The, the Jewish leaders don't rebut the fact that there was an empty tomb. Instead, they circulate a lie about why the tomb is empty. Hmm. Third and finally, the witnesses of the empty tomb were women. The witnesses of the empty tomb were women. So in that day and age, you wouldn't want your first witnesses to be women, especially if you were trying to make up a religious, uh, religious fantasy. Why? Well, the scholar William Lane Craig says, if the empty tomb story were a legend, then it is most likely that the male disciples would have been made the first to discover the empty tomb. The fact that despised women, whose testimony was deemed worthless, were the chief witnesses to the fact of the empty tomb can only be plausibly explained if, like it or not, they actually were the discoverers of the empty tomb. You see the love of Jesus? The grace of the gospel. Jesus cares for the marginalized and the weak and the needy. At that time, women in first century Palestine. But this also shows us that this story looks like it, it holds water. Why would you make up a story where the first witnesses to the great event are not trustworthy? So friends, there's much more that could be said and much more has been said. I'd encourage you to research this more if you have questions, but take a tip from the angels and come, come, see the empty tomb. 
wrestle with the arguments for and against the historical evidence for the resurrection. If Jesus really rose from the dead, then history will bear that out. If he didn't, then history will show that too. Come and see for yourself. And Christian, remember Jesus is alive. He is alive. He is real. I wonder, especially if you've been doing religion for a long time, I wonder, do you see Jesus as sort of an a, a, a ancient relic from the past? Sort of an old, age-old tradition that might be good to kind of take out of the closet on Easter or Christmas and kind of brush off to, because it's good for our lives? Is there more death than life to your Christianity? Or do you know Jesus, the living one? Uh, J.C. Ryle was a bishop in Liverpool, England at the end of the 19th century, and he once said this, Cease to regard the gospel as a mere collection of dry doctrines. Look at it, rather, as the revelation of a mighty living being in whose sight you are daily to live. Look at it as the introduction to a glorious personal friend. So we're told, do not be afraid. We're told to come and see. What's the final command the angels give there in verse 7? The angel says, go quickly and tell. The women are told to go spread the news of the resurrection to the disciples. And over the coming years, that news will spread. And people will come to Christ. And churches will be built. And lives will be spent proclaiming the good news of the risen Lord. It all starts with these women running and telling their friends, Jesus is not in the tomb. He's alive. Oh, how that would catch like wildfire. And still does. So Christian, brother and sister, do you devote time to telling people about Jesus, about this living Savior? Be honest. Maybe for you, in your life, as you go through your daily routine, the resurrection actually, if you're honest, isn't all that amazing for you. I mean, you've heard it so much, you've, you've read the scripture passages, you've gone to church, you've heard the sermons. Christian, if that's you, then the time we're living in right now is a gift for you. So this virus pandemic spreading throughout the world is terrible. It must be stopped. We must pray for its end and for God's mercy. But what this pandemic has done for Christians under the sovereign control of the Lord is remind us all of the reality of death. Death is always close by. It's just a car accident or a bad diagnosis away at all times. And while that may sound really morbid this Easter morning, it's actually super clarifying. Because the nearness of death reminds us how temporary life really is. And when we realize that, then the resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes really good news. Then the resurrection becomes the best news you've ever heard. Strangely, our present pandemic may make Easter 2020 all the more amazing for us. Why? Because the hope of the resurrection is the hope we realize we need. 
So one pastor in Nashville named Matt McCullough has written a book called Remember Death. Uh, we, once this pandemic started and we weren't able to meet, we sent that out to all the members of our church. Great title, right? Something you really want to be reading right now. But the subtitle makes a lot more sense when it talks about how we're remembering death so to pursue eternal hope. And this is one of the things McCullough writes. He says, if death is not a problem, Jesus won't be much of a solution. The more deeply we feel death's sting, the more consciously we will feel the gospel's healing power. The more carefully we number our days, I love this, the more carefully we number our days, the more joyfully we'll hear that death's days are numbered too. And so he says, so long as death remains someone else's problem, Jesus will remain someone else's savior. Christian, as we understand more during these pandemic days how death is a very near and dangerous problem, we're going to realize more and more that Jesus is a very near and wonderful Savior. Christian, Jesus is alive. He has gone into heaven ahead of you, and there you will see him. So go and tell people about it. See, even in the grips of the coronavirus, we can have hope. We started out this morning by thinking about the Spanish flu of 1918 that, that devastated Washington, D.C. And even in the grips of that outbreak, a, a D.C. pastor named Francis Grimke, an African-American pastor, had hope. This is part of what he said to his church when they finally were able to meet again after the hiatus. He said, I felt, talking about the time during the pandemic or the epidemic, he said, I felt, as doubtless you all felt, who are Christians, the blessedness of a firm grip upon Jesus Christ. The blessedness of a realizing sense of being anchored in God and in his precious promises. While the plague was raging, while thousands were dying, what a comfort it was to feel that we were in the hands of a loving Father who was looking out for us, who had given us the great assurance that all things should work together for our good. And therefore, that come what would, whether we were smitten with the epidemic or not, or whether being smitten we survived or perished, we knew it would be well with us, that there was no reason to be alarmed. Even if death came, we knew it was all right. The Apostle Paul says, it is gain for me to die. Death had no terrors for him, and so Grimke in this sermon, after the epidemic finishes this section by saying, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church family, friends, we are in hard, dark days. And in the darkness of our current pandemic, the resurrection shines all the more brightly giving hope that cannot be wiped away, giving hope that is rooted not in us, but in an historical Savior who is not dead, but lives forever. Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you for this message this morning that has encouraged my own soul. I confess that I have been anxious during these weeks of isolation. I confess that at times, your gospel has felt like it, it isn't the most immediate thing I need. 
And so, Lord, as a church, we come before you and we confess that the truth of the resurrection changes everything, not just about our faith, but everything about how we live right now. And so, Lord, help us to not be afraid, but to come and see and go and tell that Jesus is not dead, but is alive. We praise you in his name, in the name of our risen Lord. Amen. Well, it's been a joy seeing your faces pop up on the screen as we've met this resurrection morning. I pray that your days are blessed, your day is blessed with family or friends or whoever you have around you. Remember that tonight at 7 p.m. we have our Sunday night Zoom prayer meeting that has become sort of our new normal. I hope to see many of you there. For now, let's close with the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. God be with you. See you soon.